Hello and welcome to Policy Voices by Friends of Europe, an independent think tank with a difference. Each week from Brussels, we bring you powerful conversations with policy voices from around the world. Policy Voices talking policy choices. For the Taiwanese people, there is no Taiwan question. It's very clear what Taiwan is. Uh, there is no need to declare independence uh, because Taiwan is already independent. The EU has this role to play and to contribute to maintaining peace and stability, knowing that for China, Europe is also an important partner. So perhaps Europe is better placed uh, because it, it is not engaged in this geostrategic rivalry that the United States is with China. So I believe that that gives Europe uh, more leverage. It was an election framed as a choice between war and peace, but in the end, the big winner of Taiwan Saturday's elections was its democracy that is as strong as ever. I'm Katerina Villanova and you're listening to Policy Voices. My guest this week is Jujana Ferenci, assistant professor at the National Donghua University in Taiwan. She's been living in Taiwan for the past four years and says Saturday's elections were a testament to a healthy democracy. William Lai from the incumbent Democratic Progressive Party won comfortably the presidential elections. He currently serves as Taiwan's vice president and Jujana Ferenci predicts a policy of continuity towards Beijing. However, it takes two to tango and it remains to be seen if Xi Jinping will grow even more wary of the status quo. Beijing sees Taiwan as part of the Chinese territory, whereas Taipei claims it does not need to declare independence because it already is independent. But where does this leave the United States and the European Union? In a critical election year, all options are on the table on both sides of the Atlantic. So stay on that side to hear my conversation with Jujana Ferenci, an expert on new relations with China and Taiwan. Jujo, welcome to Policy Voices. Good morning or good afternoon to you, since you are uh, talking to, to me from, from Taipei. How are you? Good, thanks. And thanks for having me. It's a rainy day right after the elections, but uh, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Yes, I can imagine that uh, Taiwanese people must be still uh, recovering from uh, what was a quite an emotional uh, weekend. Um, but so just to, to get us started, if you could just give us an initial comment on uh, the final results. So the, the elections were won by William Lai from the, the incumbent party, the Democratic Progressive Party. Um, was this something that was surprising or, or expected? Yes, well, firstly, I would say that there's no big surprises. There's no big winners or no big losers. Uh, we have the results. The outcome is very clear. As you said, the ruling party, DPP's uh, William Lai, or Lai Qingte got over 40% of the vote against the KMT or the Chinese Nationalist Party, uh, whose candidate was Ho Youi, and also against uh, the third candidate. This time there was a third candidate as well, Ko Wenzhe, who got 26.5% of the Taiwan People's Party. So I believe that it was, as you said, a very emotional weekend, also a very contested election, I think the most contested in Taiwan's history. Um, and so days before the elections, I think people were quite uncertain of, of the outcome. Uh, but I think going forward, um, firstly, 
this result and the way the process unfolded in terms of organizing the elections, the votes, the transparency involved in it, I think it's a very clear um, reflection of Taiwan's democracy as a mature and increasingly consolidating um, democracy. So that's the first impression I would I would share. Indeed, I believe that was for the ten days prior to the um, to the elections. There could have been no new polls. So for the last ten days, uh, you could not really know. We could not really have a sense of where if the polls had changed. And I believe the last ones put uh, the two main candidates quite neck neck and neck. So um, could you describe how was the mood on Saturday? How was the election day? Did you have the chance to go to the polls, uh, maybe to speak to some people? Uh, could you have a feeling of, um, of what was going on? Yes, it was very exciting. It was my first time um, directly or, or, or observing the elections on the ground. I have been based in Taiwan for the past four years, but I arrived right after the previous elections. So this time, I really had this privilege of sensing what really is going on in people's minds and hearts and really um, witness lots of debates and discussions between friends, but also within families, because often there are differences in terms of political affiliation from generation to generation. So I thought that was very interesting and very common. Uh, given Taiwan's democracy and also the Taiwanese identity, which played a role in the elections. Um, and on the day, everything was when, I mean, as we could see also, it was a smooth process. Um, it was interesting to see that often families went vote to vote together. We also had a lot of um, overseas Taiwanese come back, return to Taiwan to vote. So I think that's another indication of Taiwanese people's interest in shaping their own future to the extent that they can. So the, the the most important thing that citizens, I guess, can do is really to cast their vote. So that was very visible and um, very good and inspiring to see. And the whole process went smoothly. Also, I I could follow a little bit the the polls, how the the, the counting of the votes, which the polls close at four. So I, I went to one of the polling stations and I could really just easily have access and see how one by one the votes are being counted in full transparency. So I think that's very inspiring and it's it's really um, encouraging to see that Taiwan's democracy bottom up is really on the right track. Of course, it, it is not a perfect democracy as no democracy is, but it is on the right Track. And what would you say that uh, ultimately dictated the final results, the outcome of the elections? In an opinion piece that you wrote for uh, Taipei Times, if I'm not mistaken, you mentioned some socioeconomic issues that uh, Taiwanese people have been facing uh, related to the high living costs. Uh, so would you say that in the end this dictated the final results or, uh, and of course it's inevitable to speak about, to talk about China, uh, the not so looming threat of unification from China was what dictated the, the outcomes? That's an important question because it seems like unlike in previous elections, this time uh, socioeconomic issues were very high on people's um, agenda when, it, when they went to vote and who they would support and who they would relate to in terms of their candidate and also the party that they would support. Of course, the China factor has always been and remains a crucial factor in, in how the Taiwanese people see themselves, so in their self-perception, but also how they see Taiwan's place 
in the world in light of the, the eight previous years under a DPP government who has done quite a lot and, and I think effectively to give Taiwan more visibility, also because of the circumstances, because of China's own assertiveness that has uh, put Taiwan more in the spotlight. So I think this time people's concerns with low wages, with uh, unaffordable housing, the growing gap between the the rich and the poor or the, the very rich and the rest of the population. I think these are concerns that a lot of people are uh, preoccupied with, especially the young people, because they finish school, university, and then often they're not able to find the job that they'd like to, or the job that they have doesn't help them uh, have the kind of life that they think they deserve, and they definitely do in terms of uh, of a future that um, allows them to thrive. So these issues were quite important. And I think visibly the third candidate this time, so Kowenja, he really ran on a platform that claimed to focus and promised to focus and to address these, these issues that he claimed that the other two parties failed to because they were the establishment and they stopped paying attention to what really matters to the everyday, uh, to the people every day. So uh, I'm then curious because when we compare the DPP with the KMT, the Comintern Party, it's quite easy to understand why the DPP or what kind of assurances against uh, against China or with protection against China the DPP DPP offers when compared to the KMT. But then in that case, uh, if uh, socioeconomic issues were looming so large in the minds of the electorate, what assurances did the DPP offer? Uh, that in the end uh, led them to win the elections? Mm. Yes, good question. So uh, already months before the campaign became so intense as in the in the weeks before the elections, uh, the DPP candidate, so Lai Qingde, he had he ran on a platform which said that these elections about, are about democracy versus autocracy. And we know that for people living in Taiwan, irrespective of the political color that they identify with, I think, and I say that as a non-Taiwanese, obviously, as an outsider, but I think I, I allow myself to say this, that for all people living in Taiwan, democracy remains a very uh, crucial and central element to their identity. So I think uh, uh, the DPP's track record in terms of strengthening Taiwan's profile as a robust democracy in the past eight years has really been appreciated by a lot of Taiwanese people in contrast with the KMT's candidate, Ho Yui, who ran on the message that this is an election that is between peace and war. So I think a lot of people are I mean, most people, all people are concerned about and worry about, about China and how this relationship, cross-rate relations will, will end up uh, developing. But having this narrative, I think, also pushed a lot of people away because a lot of people are also tired of, of, of this. And, and I think Kowenja himself uh, capitalized on this and instead focused on on the socioeconomic issues, which really are the everyday problems of the people. But at the same time, I think it's fair to say that 
all of the three candidates made it clear that they support the status quo, that they want peace and stability across the strait, that they want to communicate and to, to have dialogue with Beijing. So on that front, um, I would not claim that there were huge differences, but still, in as we could see by the outcome, uh, the message of of the, the commitment to democracy as a key element to Taiwan's identity as a member of the international community, although being isolated diplomatically and facing everyday threats and serious threats from, from China, I think that element really played an important role. And I would add because, and the reason why I say this is be also because on the eve of the election, when it was already pretty clear what the outcome would be, Lai Qingte had a, um, or addressed the press, and in that one-hour press conference, he made it clear that these elections sent a message to the world that between democracy and autocracy, Taiwan stands with democracies. And then he promised again, as he did in his campaign, that Taiwan would go forward on this path. And I think this is a, this will remain going forward for lighting to a a core pillar in in its foreign policy but also as i said in uniting a polarized society because taiwan as a democracy as a healthy democracy is taiwan is quite polarized and there are divergent views on the kind of future people see for themselves with China. So it's not about with or without China, because realistically speaking, we all know that that's, that's not possible, but the intensity and the closeness and the dependence on and the reliance on China, these are the questions that are uh, seriously debated. That is that is very interesting that perhaps the this argument of uh, the threat of the China threat that always looms uh, is perhaps not such not not such a winning argument at, uh, as many would think. Uh, just uh, in his New Year's address, uh, the Chinese president said the country's reunification with Taiwan was inevitable. So you would you would think that uh, this would be the winning argument. But uh, in that case, uh, would you say that perhaps the Taiwanese people are not taking this threat as serious? That perhaps uh, they they started to see it as more of a bluff game from uh, from China? I would not say, and I think we we need to be careful here how we phrase this. I would not say that they are not concerned as as because they because they would think that the threat is less serious because in reality the, the threat in the past four years has been increasing so I think the threat is real they know the threat is real but I think there's ways of, of understanding how realistically Taiwan can go forward what is it that helps Taiwan to to maintain and to protect its existence so it is therefore an existential threat Taiwanese people understand that and they are worried about it. But I think they started focusing more and more on, on how they can best and most effectively address that. And that is by working closely with friends and like-minded partners. So going forward, the domestic issues should not be less important than the China factor. That's, I think, an indication of why people also would vote for candidates who promised 
who actually would deliver on their socioeconomic issues. And so I think I would say that definitely in reality, these issues are just as important, but perhaps they played out differently in these elections. Um, but going forward, the, the threat will, will certainly grow. And considering that uh, William uh, Lai was is the, is the current vice president, or it was until Saturday the, the current vice president of Taiwan, can we expect a significant change of policy towards China uh, now that he graduates from vice president to president? Right. So he ran on a platform. William Lai's message was that Taiwan's future should be shaped and determined by the people of Taiwan. And he was also described by many in his circles, but also in, in broader circles as a candidate of continuity. So I trust that he will be a president who continues current President Tsai Ing-wen's policies when it comes to um, reinforcing Taiwan's image and also its visibility also to reinforce Taiwan's defense capabilities and deterrence capabilities, and also to continue to try to have dialogue and communication with Beijing. But as we said earlier, it takes two to do that. So we will have to watch how that goes forward. And on the other way, since what you predict in that sense uh, is a policy of continuity, uh, can we expect then from uh, from Xi Jinping the same, uh, exactly the same policy towards Taiwan uh, as we have seen up until now? Or as you also said, since the last four years, we have seen uh, an increase of the, of the threat, a very real threat with uh, uh, even fighter jets uh, flying over the Taiwanese airspace. Could we see a, a continuation of the escalation? Well, I definitely believe that given that Taiwan remains a core issue for Beijing, that an, is an issue that Beijing is not ready to compromise on. They have been signaling that for, for years. But yes, so so Xi Jinping made it clear that this is is vital for 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 China's uh, future. So based on that, I only expect further um, tension. Of course, we have to watch for the coming months because May will be the month of the actual transition, uh, and that's when uh, president-elect becomes the president. So. Already what we have from the Chinese foreign ministry is the exact same aggressive rhetoric that is based on false claims. And I quote what the foreign ministry issued right after the elections, which says that the Taiwan question is China's internal affair. Whatever changes take place in Taiwan, the basic fact that there is only one China in the world and Taiwan is part of China will not change. So that's not at all surprising. It is in line with with the official line, but also it always makes me smile when I hear or I read the concept of Taiwan question, because for the Taiwanese people, there is no Taiwan question. It's very clear what Taiwan is. And as President Tsai has said it, and President-elect Lai, I think, said it in the same way that uh, there is no need to declare independence uh, because Taiwan is already independent. So I expect that Lai will continue on this same in the same line in the footsteps of Tai, but also of course, changings will be 
expected in terms of uh, adapting to to the global circumstances and also seeing how China really will will go forward. But already the Taiwanese response to the false claims uh, was already out that this is not consistent with international understanding and that um, this is not the the real situation across the the Taiwan Straits. So there are a, we can expect false claims, disinformation, information manipulation, in addition to economic coercion and military maneuvers to continue and escalate. Uh, but at the same time, I also think we need to look at Beijing's own considerations in terms of its own domestic situation, um, because the economic situation in China is difficult. So I think we will have to wait and see how things will go forward. I always found it such a clever way out of every solution to not to not necessary to to declare independence independence when you're already independent. I always find it so so clever. Um, so could we perhaps expect a greater rapprochement between Taiwan and allies such as the European Union and the United States? I saw that uh, President Biden gave quite of a blunt reaction uh, to the elections, just putting it very straight, um, just saying that uh, the US does not support Taiwan independence, perhaps not the, the kind of first response that the president-elect was expecting? Well, in terms of the EU's position and stance, I think that's been also made very clear in previous communications that uh, the EU supports um, the status quo and urges both sides to go forward in the spirit of this status quo and not to change it unilaterally. Uh, at the same time, as we know, the EU has its own One China policy, and that is something that Beijing has regularly uh, and falsely rejected and uh, claiming that the EU subscribes to China's One China principle. And the two things are not the same. So I think this just tells us again how important it is to have clear, coherent communication. And when it comes to the EU's approach to this whole situation in the Indo-Pacific and also in cross-strait relations, I think we have seen growing awareness inside the, the EU of, of Taiwan's geostrategic importance, but also the fact that the EU has its own interests to protect in the region. So the EU has a role to play. Now, because I already said that I expect Lai to continue previous policies when it comes to building up stronger international relations and partnerships, I expect that this will also refer to the European Union. I think for Taiwan, Europe is an important partner and will remain an important partner, not just because the EU is the largest foreign investor in Taiwan, but also because of EU-China relations. And also because I think the EU has this role to play to, to maintain um, and to contribute to maintaining peace and stability, knowing that for China, Europe is also an important partner. So perhaps Europe is better placed uh, because it, it is not engaged in this geostrategic rivalry that the United States is with China. So I believe that that gives Europe uh, more leverage. But of course, because this is the European Union of 27 countries, it always 
is difficult to be coherent and also to act strategically. So for EU-Taiwan relations, we need to look at the, this relationship from both sides. So both what the EU can, should, and should not, or could not do when it comes to Taiwan and the other way around. I think this is a good opportunity for Taiwan under a new leadership to rethink the relationship that Taiwan wants to have with Europe, given Europe's importance. So I do hope that this will happen. I do hope that Taiwan will remain important, but also I think both sides just really need to be more strategic. So there are, for example, issues in terms of technical cooperation that have often been politicized. So economic cooperation should go forward. And I think instead of perhaps pushing for a bilateral investment agreement, which has not moved on for the past close to a decade because it has been a politicized issue, I think both the EU and Taiwan need to look at sectoral cooperation and more of that because that is already happening in a, in a lot of areas. I think both need to just focus on that and go forward with more technical cooperation that allows both sides to strengthen their resilience in terms of their economic uh, relations, but also their democratic resilience. Thank you very much for taking the time to, to speak to speak with me. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for staying on that side and listening to my conversation with Jujana Ferenci, an assistant professor at the National Donghua University in Taiwan and an expert on EU relations with China and Taiwan. Make sure to follow Policy Voices to never miss an episode and leave us a comment with your thoughts on today's episode. I'm Katerina Villanova and I will be with you again next week.